0: You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Last week we looked at the story of the sluggard, and tonight his counterpart in scripture, the ant. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the precious word of God. Lord, that it never returns void. Lord, no matter the strength, the passion, Lord, no matter the charisma, or no matter the meekness of the speaker, it's not about the speaker, it's not about his tone, but it's about the sweet Holy Spirit interpreting the word of God to the hearts of your people. And God, last week we looked at the the lesson of the sluggard, the slacker, the one who just does what he has to do just to get by. And God, tonight as we look at the lesson of this uh, little, tiny, uh, seemingly, uh, Lord, uh, unimportant character of the ant, Lord, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. And Lord, the wisdom that we see tonight uh, that is displayed by the life of And uh, the lifestyle of the ant. God, simple things that you might teach us tonight, I pray, might speak words to our heart that would enable us and equip us to serve you well in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 6, three verses we look at very quickly. The Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, but yet she provides her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Let me just take those three verses and let's look at them and see what the writer is, is saying tonight. And then we'll look at just some very uh, light points that I pray will bless you and help you tonight. The sluggard, if you were here last week, is the, the picture and the epitome of just laziness. The The one who has either grown that way uh, just because of, of a lethargic attitude, I don't care. Uh, the picture of a person that just well, I'm not going to do any extra. I'm going to go to work, and that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going not to put all my heart and my soul into that. And, and, the, and the Bible, uh, in fact, 37 different places in the in the New and Old Testament combined deal with the character of the sluggard, which is pretty amazing. You look at all the characters of the Bible that were only mentioned once or twice, but the sluggard mentioned some 37 times. Well, tonight we look at the example to the sluggard. Um, of all of the characters, of all of the animals, of all of the uh, the beings that, that were created, typically we would not think of an ant as being a role model. We would not think, you know, um, you know I, I don't know many uh, baseball teams out there that are called the ants or, you know, professional athletes that say, well, when I grow up, I want to play for the ants. You know, that's not something that we often think about. But let's look at what the Bible says. And verse number 6 is just the introduction. "Sluggard, you need to go and you need to watch and you need to look and you need to learn from the life of the ant. Verse number seven very simply says this. The ant, while has no one uh, guiding them, overseeing them, or ruling them, they work hard. They, they, they labor. They, they toil. They do all that they can. I'm going to ask you tonight, do we typically do the same when the boss is looking over our shoulder as when he is not? Do we have to be moment by moment by moment guided? Do we have to be force-fed when it comes to the things of the work of the church or in our own individual lives? Hopefully, <clears throat> we're not motivated by fear or we're not motivated of, well, if the man's watching, I better do a little extra, but we're motivated simply by the desire to always, always, always do our best. No guide, overseer, or ruler. This speaks to the person that is a self-motivator. We have talked much in the last few months about what's going on with our Bladen Baptist Association. Let me just uh, sort of uh, put in there um, uh, that on Monday night, uh, please, 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 if you're able to go by the Bladen Baptist Association between 530 and 730, uh, you can meet our prospective uh, director of missions candidate. I'm going to share with you tonight who it is. Uh, Do keep it somewhat confidential um, as far as don't put it out on social media and that kind of thing. We did send a letter out Monday letting folks in the association know who it was. And it is David Foster who has been here a number of times, the pastor at Galatia Baptist Church uh, in Seaboard, North Carolina. Um, so please be in prayer for he and his wife, Beth, and their daughters, uh, Nicole and Caitlin. But I hope you'll be able to be there Monday night and meet him. Then we're having a special called Executive Committee Meeting uh, on on Tuesday night. And I'll just share very, very quickly uh, with you tonight... Um, I met David last August. Has got an open door for me to go and preach a revival, and uh, I've told David this, so it's no secret. But it was not a revival I was particularly uh, looking forward to. Uh, some sweet folks that attend the, the Lake Church uh, during the summer are members of his church, and they had gone up and and encouraged their pastor to call me and, and have a revival. And he called me and he said, listen, we're a small church uh, in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot to do. He said, honestly, there are no motels or hotels within 30 minutes from the church. He said, so if you're willing to come, we'll put you up in a home and and that kind of thing. And, and that's always kind of intimidating. Um, so that that Sunday afternoon after we were done here, I got in the car and by myself uh, drove up to, uh, to Galatia. And it was absolutely, uh, it would sort of remind you of Abbotsburg, downtown Abbotsburg, but Abbotsburg and uh, so i got there and i thought oh god just get me through this week you know sunday night um the the music was uh, was not the best in the world um somewhere between chaos and caterwauling you know and uh, but but god just showed up that week and we had one of the best revivals i've ever been a part of and all week um david would say i don't want to i don't want to bother you. you rest and i said well bother me i've never been to this part of the state before take me out let me go visit let me meet people and do whatever i'd like to to kind of get to know the area and all throughout that week, I saw the the amazing kingdom work that that small rural church was doing, and I was so impressed um, that they didn't let their their their, their area or, or or whatever limit them. They were very kingdom focused and very involved, um, doing things like working with drugs drug and alcohol rehab, working on the college campuses, working with the children's home, special needs adults in that area, things like that. And through the process of looking for a director of missions, I kept hearing the committee say what they were looking for and what we as an association were looking for, and it just kept ringing in my mind, well, that sounds a lot like David. So we approached him sometime at the, I guess, the first of the year and asked him, what he consider, and through prayer, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. Um, uh, It's not that I I got an old friend a job kind of thing, I think that's kind of the word on the street a little bit, but... um, It's just a matter of a very, very good fit, and we see the Lord's hand and His sovereignty all through this process. Kind of my little interjection there, but back to our text. My point of this is, as we were looking for a director of missions, I called Brother Bruce Cannon, our former DOM, and said, Bruce, give me some words of wisdom, some advice, some insight. And he said, be very, very careful. He said, because the role of the director of missions would be easily misconstrued as being a... Uh, a job for one maybe getting ready to retire or one that wants to coast because every day there's nobody sitting it saying you've got to go do this and that and the other thing you've got to be a self-starter you've got to be a motivator you've got to be one that says I believe in Bladen Baptist and I want to get out there and I want to work the fields and I want to help the pastors and I want to really uh, be active daily and so that became a very focal point of that search now back to our text when I think about Christian servants when I think about people serving the Lord we have to be self-starters think about this there is no one because most almost everyone in this room what you do for the Lord you do as a volunteer you have to be self-motivated you have to be a self-starter you have to be one that says I'm not just wanting to sit in a pew but I'm wanting to serve the Lord faithfully so when we look at this story of the ant. It's not that he's doing what he has to do because, you know, the the the, the queen aunt is, is over, over his shoulder saying, you better do this. But he is faithfully, every day, day in and day out, doing all that he can without uh, having to be prompted every step of the way. Number 8, verse 8. She provides her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Again, it's a picture of the opposite of the slacker. The slacker waits until it's too late. Uh, the slacker waits until uh, it, it's too far gone to begin planting the seeds, but the ant is methodical and is careful and is cautious and plans. You know, we talk a lot about vision in the church, and you know, we, we try to look way down the road. God, what are you leading us to do this month and next month and the next quarter and even into the next year making those plans, and it's a picture of the life of the ant. Let me give you four things very quickly tonight, and I won't keep you long that we learn from the ant, just some things that we can take. And as we do our Wednesday night services, our recharge services, I want to give you something that you can implement in your daily lives that will help you in your walk. And, and none of this is new, uh, but it's, uh, it's just a clear picture of the ant. Number one, I believe from the ant we learn the lesson that we must be confident. Have you ever looked at an ant? Uh, last week we got a little picture of the ant, and he was carrying a leaf that was about five times his size, you know. An aunt could look in the mirror and say, I can't do anything, right? You know, sometimes we as Christians say, Well, what can I do? I'm just one person. I mean, what, what can I ultimately do? How much of a difference can I make? Let me just tell you, one of my goals this year uh, as I travel the state through, for, our, for our Baptist State Convention is helping small churches discover that they can do large things well. Sometimes in a smaller church setting, we're able to do, do those things better because we're not so distracted by so many different things. We can truly keep the main thing the main thing. So whether it's an individual believer or whether it's the church as a whole, confidence is so very important, a simple verse for that. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through whom? Through Christ who gives me the strength. I wonder how can that little ant lift something. Think about this. How can that little ant lift something four times its size and ten times its body weight? Because God made the ant with the ability to do that. Think about this now, y'all. Let's don't over-simplify, let's don't over-complicate. God knew when he designed that little ant that that ant was going to need to do more than carry his own weight in order to perform the task and the duties that would be before him every day. The Bible says that God is our Father. We are His good children. We are, he is our good Father. We are His children. And He knows how to give us the good gifts. He knows what we're going to need every day. He knows what we're going to need. Whether, if He calls us to teach a class, and you say, well, I don't know how to teach a class. He'll equip you as you go. I, I don't know how to, uh, you know, whatever it might be that He's leading you to do. Sometimes people say, well, preacher, I'd love to go on a mission trip, but I, I'm afraid of big cities, or I'm afraid to fly, or I'm afraid of this. And I'm saying, listen, you just, if God's truly calling you to do it, He will equip you every single way, every single day. There needs to be a level of confidence. Now, not arrogance, but confidence. Now, three things. Number one, I must do my part. Every ant in that colony realizes that he has a specific duty to do, that if he does not do his part, nobody else is going to do his part. Nobody else is going to step up and say, well, you, you don't have to worry about it. I'll cover it for you today. Every ant doing their part. If you see sometimes the amount of work that ants can get done, is pretty amazing. Why? Because every ant sees the importance of his duty, the importance of what he does. There, there are people in here tonight, and you, you say, well, preacher, I don't teach a class, and you know, I don't. I don't sing in the choir. I Don't play an instrument. I don't sing in the praise team. I, I don't feel like I'm contributing a lot to the work of the church. Let me tell you, if you if you're uh, rolling up doors at six o'clock in the morning over at the lake, or if you're uh, keeping the children's church in the nursery here during our ten thirty worship service, those are not prize-winning services. Those are not things that you're going to get your name in the bulletin or in the paper probably for doing. They're probably not going to give an award or name a stained glass window after you. But the fact of the matter is that you're doing what you're doing so that the gospel can be proclaimed, so that mothers and fathers can sit here and hear the gospel, so that people will be able to come in and worship at each of our campuses. I must do my part. Number two, I can do my part. One of the, the biggest lies of the enemy is to lie to you and say, look at your inadequacies. Look at all the things that you're going to be unable to do. Look at all the things that keep you from doing um, maybe everything that you'd like to do, whatever it might be. But the thing of the matter is, anything that God calls you to do, he's going to make sure you've got everything you need uh, to handle it. Um, Not too long ago, uh, we'd gotten some things, uh, something for Christmas had to be put together. And I remember opening the box up and I got all the things out of there and I thought, uh-oh, there's a problem, there's, there's something missing. So I went back to the box and I looked around and in the very bottom of the box was a little plastic bag and in that plastic bag were all the little nuts and bolts and screws and even a little tool to tighten everything up. And you see, we had all the components that were laid out there and they were large. But all of those large components were useless unless you had all the ingredients to connect them. Now think about the church. The church is a big organism. It is a huge institution. You know, lots going on and a lot of moving parts. But having all those elements in place is a wonderful thing. But unless you have all the ingredients to bring them together and to put it together, uh, to mesh it together, it's all for naught. And that's where we fit in. So I must do my part. And I can do my part. Think about it. every little part of that thing that we put together had a specific purpose. I remember there were some little parts and I picked it up and I thought, this cannot have a specific purpose. This must just be extra. I can throw it away. But toward the end of the project, you'd think, wait a minute, I need that little screw. I need that little nut. I need that little bolt. It has a very, very specific purpose. Number three, I must do my part. I can do my part. And here it is. My part is absolutely crucial. My part is absolutely crucial. We've probably very seldom even think about the fact that our services are recorded. But to shut-ins that look forward every week to whether it's through podcast, whether it's through YouTube on video, watching our Sunday morning services, listening to our Sunday night services, listening to our Wednesday night services, people count on those things. And, you know, somebody says, well, you know, if if Ray and Tommy and Pete and the guys, if they're not here and we don't have the video, we don't have the audio, we don't have the, the recording, it's no big deal. It's a big deal to the people that are looking forward to it. Um, It is absolutely amazing. We we probably don't realize this, but we're we're grateful that it's taking place. During the summer, we reach a large number of people, hundreds and hundreds of people that we reach, and they get plugged in, and they they enjoy the music of our church, and they enjoy the preaching of our church for some unknown reason. Ricky says it's because it helps them sleep at night, and it might be the case. Um, But what they do is they... When they go back home, they live in different parts of this state and other states. They go back home, and in the off season, every once in a while, I'll get an email. And they'll say, man, I'm really enjoying uh, the messages lately. Last week, the message on so-and-so really touched me. And I'm going, who are you? I don't even recognize your name in this email. And I have to kind of play along a little bit till I finally connect the dots and figure out who they are. And realize that, that there are people that are counting on that. So does that seem insignificant? To us, it might, but to those that are counting on it, it's not. Here's my point. Whatever it is that you're doing that God's enabled you and equipped you and called you to do, it is a critical and a crucial part of the work of the church. Number two, not only must we have confidence, and that's learned from the life of the man who says, I can, I can, I can. But secondly, we must be committed. The Bible says in Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever, that's a big word, Mm. whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. I love to see people doing what they do heartily. Uh, we love the, the Mighty Echoes around here, and you know the Mighty Echoes uh, uh, gospel group. And um, I love to see uh, the guitar player play the guitar, not because he's talented, although he is, not because he's got a gift, although he does, but because he puts every bit of his heart and soul into what he's doing, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Whatever we do, we're to do it heartily as unto the Lord. Now think about that. What are we to be committed to? Let me give you this very quickly. Why should we do everything so heartily? Is it really, really that important? Absolutely. Commitment is not about us. But first of all, we're committed to a great purpose. Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus says, Upon the rock, talking about himself, I will build my church And then the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we become part of the building blocks of that church. Now, we are pebbles like like Peter was, and and we're not the cornerstone. Everything's not built around us. But we realize that what we're doing is playing a very critical and an important part of this overall purpose of the church, Um, whatever it is that we're doing. Secondly, we're committed to a greater person. In other words, it's not about us. It's not about, well, I'm going to sing so that people appreciate my singing, right? Right? Um, it's not that well I'm going to teach a class so that I feel good about myself or I'm going to serve on a committee so that I can walk away saying well I'm, I'm good at this or that or that but I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do and it's all about serving Jesus it's all about regarding him the chief cornerstone but grateful to be a pebble thirdly not only are we committed to a, a greater purpose and a greater person but also a greater process and this is where the ants really give us a clear indication of how things work now think about that an ant Does a lot, but in and of himself, and the big picture does very little. We count on one another, we rely on one another. And you know, I I, many times I'll be riding down the road and and thinking, and I go through the list of people in my mind that I know week in and week out are doing so much. And I actually am amazed at times the amount of time people invest and put into preparing their lessons and preparing the music that we hear and all these things. And I realize it is a tremendous process to put all this together. Last Tuesday. Uh, I was in a um, a meeting up in Winston Salem, and uh, I was talking to Rob Peters. Rob Peters is the pastor at the Calvary Baptist Church in Winston Salem. And you talking about a church? This place is just uh, started with forty people, and they got about five thousand now. And then ten different campuses. They're starting hundred churches in the next ten years. And I talking to this guy, and I'm thinking, how in the world do you even know what your church is doing? Um, I can't imagine on Sunday morning showing up for church and 5,000 people being there. I mean, you know, how, how where would you even begin? And um, But the fact of the matter is that God has called him to that congregation. And he's going to equip him to handle that. But I think about no matter how small or large the church is, there is a process of what God has called the church to be. And, and so how important it is for us to work together. Number three, not only would we to be confident and be committed, we're to be connected. First Corinthians chapter twelve, love that chapter. It's a chapter of the word of God that talks about the body of Christ and how all the parts work together. Now, admittedly, I, I wouldn't begin to know where to work on a new vehicle. Brother Ricky had a car breakdown the other day and man I tried I'd, I think I wouldn't have been for my trying, I probably would have saved you a few hundred dollars. But anyway, I apologize for that. But you look at a new car now and you look and it's complicated. There's a big plastic cover over the whole engine so that I guess People like me don't even try to get into it. But back in the day, motors were kind of simple. And, you know, there were times uh, from time to time that, uh, you know, would do some mechanic work. And it was always amazing when you, you look at an engine, it's just kind of this overwhelming, you know, mass of steel, right? But when you pull the valve covers off and you see all the little valves and all the little lifters and all the little springs and all the things, you're like, wow, this is amazing how all of these little parts are working together for that engine to run, right? But all it takes, and I think about this, all it takes is one tiny little part to go awry, and that motor will not run. If you were to go to one of the NASCAR races, and you were to go and you were to look at one of those engines, those engines cost thirty to $40,000, I understand, to buy. And race car driver's out there, and he's running around that track, running 200 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, a little poof of smoke goes out the back end. Next thing you know, he's pulling behind the wall. And they say, what happened? He says, well, my engine blew typically the whole engine didn't just blow up. Typically what happened is one little part inside of that engine gave way. One little part inside of that engine, the weakest part, somewhere it broke. Something got out of line. Something something happened to that engine. So many times we read and we hear of churches that are going through such turmoil and such uh, strife and such stress, and sometimes they'll say, well, I don't know what happened. It just seemed like everything was going along fine, and the whole church just blew up, you know. Sounds a lot like one of the race car drivers. Sounds going along down the back stretch and it just blew up. But the fact of the matter, what happened was one of the parts either didn't do its part or one of the parts uh, sort of malfunctioned. So think about what it looks like to be connected with the other parts of the church. Every part working together, not working in competition, but working together. Two things, and they're two words that might sound similar, but they mean uh, complementing things, but totally different. Number one is the word unity. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that they had all things in common, and that doesn't just mean that they all showed up and they had the same thing that they were wearing. Um, you know, I, I preach in a lot of churches and things, and that's been really cool of late. And it's it's interesting. Sometimes I'll go into a church, and everybody in the church is wearing a suit and tie and a long dress. Um, when we're overseas, we go in churches and the women are sitting on one side with their heads covered and the men are on the other side, you know. I mean, you're talking about traditional. Um, Some churches you go in and, you know, people are wearing, you know, polos and khakis and some churches they're very casual. I was in a church Um, about a month or two ago, I guess now, and I was there and I watched the ushers come down to take up the offering and one had on a three-piece suit with a bow tie, wingtip shoes. I mean, he looked like a banker right off Fifth Avenue, you know, and the guy beside him had on uh, blue jeans and a Patagonia shirt and the guy beside him uh, had on shorts of all things and I remember sitting there and thinking, now this is a really diverse group just within the ushers, Um, but it worked. But you know, and I think sometimes I go to churches and everybody kind of looks the same because they're dressed sort of the same, but that doesn't mean they have unity. Sometimes when you pull up in front of a church, uh, maybe all the cars are, you know, nice cars. Everybody's driving BMWs and Mercedes and Cadillacs and things like that, you know, Suburbans, you know. And, uh, and then other times you pull up and everybody's got an old Pinto and, you know, the 68 Ford pickup truck and 28 kids in the back, you know, and that kind of thing. And you look at those churches and you think, well, that's the rich person's church or that's the more, you know, poor person's church. Well, they must have, they must have unity because they're just alike. But that's not it at all. Unity is not anything physically that we have in common, but is what we have spiritually in common. Unity can only come from the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that is the unity that Satan loves to, to conquer, that he loves to devour uh, within the church. So unity is when all of the parts that we've said working together, realizing they have a common purpose, they're coming together for a common reason, and that's unity, but there's more. Unity is one word, and that's the unity of the colony, the unity of the, of the church. But then there's harmony. Now, now just bear with me for just a second there is a difference unity is having everything in common being like minded um a church that is doctrinally on the same page a church that is theologically uh their members are are similar they they have agreed theology and hopefully let me just say hopefully by this time someone actually joins a church they kind of get that um you know that that you know, sometimes people will come in and they say, Well, I really like your church, but you know, I don't agree with this that that the Baptists believe or this that the Baptists believe, and I think well with all due respect, it'd probably be better if you'd you know I don't please don't misunderstand what I'm getting ready to say. You know, if if there are those tremendous doctrinal differences, it's probably not gonna be a good fit here, you know. Um, so I always tell them either either quit backsliding and agree with us, and of course, you know, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, it's good to be in a church where there are like-minded theologically, doctrinally. But unity is is great, but we can be unified and still be dead. We can be unified and still be uh, lethargic. We can be unified and still be uh, without passion, right? But harmony is when you take unity and you energize it. Um, The best illustration I I can give you is you take a a couple, maybe they've been married six weeks, six years, or 60 years, and you see them and they, they, they don't argue and they don't fuss and they never say a word against one another. I mean, they live under the same roof, they eat at the same table, that kind of thing. They have unity. But there's no passion, right? There's no energy to their relationship. They, they, they—you'll you, never see them, uh, you know, you know, laughing together or enjoying life together. You never, never see them uh, loving on one another. Does that make sense? Well, a church can have unity in that. Well, they're not fussing, and, and they're not fighting, and they're not divided, and they seem to kind of be getting along, and they come eat at the same table and worship at the same, you know, pew. But there's no passion, there's no excitement, there's no enthusiasm, there's no vision, there's no desire to serve the Lord and be faithful in those pursuits. So harmony is when you energize that unity. And not only are we marching down the same road, we are doing so boldly and with much excitement and zeal. So there's unity in the colony and there's also harmony in the colony. Have you ever watched dance? There are no lazy ants; they are eager, they are enthused, they are energized, they are busy uh, carrying out the task of the colony. Finally, we're to be confident. Hmm? Oh, you what I'm saying y'all y'all like to have Tiffany. Yeah, they just gonna bite you. Anyway, I never heard of a fire ant until I moved to Bladen County. Fire ants, chicken bogs, and chicken and pastry. And I never, and I never, never met a Brisson, but I'm glad I have all those except for the fire ants. Yeah. Be confident, y'all, like the little ant. Be committed like the little ant. Be connected like the little ant. And then finally, be consistent. Be consistent. The ant understands its purpose day in and day out. I think that would get so boring. Now, here's something we've got on the ant, y'all. The ant's task is simply to work till he dies. Somebody said, well, that sounds a lot like me, you know. You must have seen my 401k. Mine's like a 4.01k, you know. But um, I'm thankful to know that we're not working till we die. We're working till Jesus comes or until he calls us home. 2 Timothy 4, chapter number 2. The Bible says this, Paul writing in, letter here to his son in the faith, Timothy, his predecessor, his beloved. And he says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Because, see, Timothy, there's going to come a time when people will not want to hear the truth anymore. They will want teachers who will tickle their ears and basically just tell them whatever they want to hear. So I call this seasonal consistency. Seasonal consistency. If you're a farmer, you understand that there are different things you do in each season. We have a number of blueberry farmers right now that have been uh, working uh, diligently with this cold weather. I've got to tell you this um, because I got two extra minutes. Sunday a week ago, uh, we have a blueberry farmer he and his wife are very involved at the Lake Campus and good good people. And um, he came in and he said, I, I want you to pray for us. He said, well, all these nights of sub-freezing temperatures, they—they, they, it's beautiful. They spray the uh, the blueberry uh, you know, crop, and it kind of ices over. It looks like we've had a snowstorm just on the blueberry fields, and it keeps them from, from going bad. Um, he said, we, we are pretty much out of water, and we still have at least one more night of freezing temperatures. And, I mean, this is a, a very, very big, you know, Crop, and he said it would be devastating to lose it. Uh, organic blueberries, and uh, so we did. We prayed Sunday morning that that God would just do that which only He can do. We claimed the promises of Second Chronicles seven, and um, and trusted the Lord. And so uh, Sunday night, I'm, I'm you know just text and said, you know, praying for you through the night. Let me know how it goes. And um, the gentleman that's uh, that's his that takes care of the farm. He said, well, you know, there's just very little bit of water left in the canals. Um, it's going to take a miracle. And uh, so woke up through the night a few times and prayed. And so Monday morning about 6.30 I text and I said, got to know how did it turn out. And he texts one word back, miracle. <laughs> now that's pretty good stuff, right? I mean, just miracle. But we were talking and I said, well, what do you do in the off season? He says, there is no off season for a blueberry farmer or any other farmer. Every season you have things that you have to do now, let me let me just say this, and I probably need to say this on Sunday mornings sometimes so people here churches go through seasons, there are seasons where you are growing, and it's just like every week somebody's joining the church and people are getting saved and being baptized and then you go through seasons at times where it seems like you know we're not seeing salvations as much as we we desperately want to see god are you are are you still working, and then we look back and we see. Those are the seasons that people are growing their spiritual roots. Those are the seasons that we're, we're kind of embracing the growth of the last season. Um, there have been times in our church where we grew so fast, it was actually unhealthy growth. Um, we were growing numerically, but spiritually we were not, we were not growing. And, and many of those people kind of drifted through. So there are times that a church goes through a season, you might look back and say, well, we didn't have the growth this year that we did last year the year before. But from an eternal standpoint, you say, oh, we did have the growth. Absolutely we had the growth. Look in the lives of those uh, that were that were changed. Um, one of the things you may or may not know this year, we've got about half of the employees at Fort Caswell this summer are going to be from our church. And that just says a lot that, you know, all these kids that have grown up in the church are, are now going and they're going to be serving and those kind of things. Um, and we're grateful for that um, opportunities and stuff. So there are times that you see, growth in different ways but back to our text here here we go there are seasons of sowing and there are seasons of reaping the fact of the matter is we will never experience the season of reaping unless we go through the season of sowing right we have to make those investments if we want to reap those dividends if we want to one day and one of my desires is we come to a point in our church where we see uh, young, young men walking the aisle and saying God has called me into you know vocational ministry to see young ladies walk the aisle and say God's calling me to be a missionary those kind of things and I want to see that but we're not going to see that unless when they're young we're investing in them and we're, we're we're imparting the word of God and we're we're giving them the gospel and we're sharing with them about the lives of missionaries that's why it's so important Sometimes people say, well, you know, we just sit and we tell the kids about missionaries and their life story. And on the first Wednesday night, we hear about a missionary and they share. Well, it's sometimes through those missionary stories that hearts are touched and those decisions ten years down the road are made. And um, and that's that's a great thing, you know. So there's those seasons of sowing and reaping, those seasons of planting and harvesting, and both require a lot of work. And then thirdly, there are seasons that we spend in the fields and then the seasons that we spend that are just absolutely fruitful. We shared in our staff meeting this morning and uh, challenged the guys that we each get very serious about bringing people into the kingdom. If we want to see people walking the aisle and accepting Christ, if we want to see people being baptized, if we want to see people surrendering their life to Christ, that's not going to happen by just having good music or good preaching or good programs or It's going to happen when we get serious about getting out into the fields, rolling up our sleeves, and doing the work that Christ has commanded us to do, and that is to be his witnesses uh, here in our Jerusalem. So, Some lessons from the Ant tonight.